section twenty seven of the mysteries of london volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox the mysteries of london volume three by george w m reynolds chapter twenty seven london on a rainy evening a scene in a post-chaise london has a strange appearance on those evenings so peculiar to our climate when a cold drizzling mist-like rain is falling the lustre of the gas-lights in the shops is seen dimly as if through a gauze and the lamps in the streets have an air as though they struggle to preserve themselves from total extinction clogs and pattens create a confused rattling on the pavement and to a bird's eye view such crowded thoroughfares as cheapside fleet street the strand and holborn must appear to have their toitoires arched with umbrellas then aristocracy seemed to urge the horses of its carriage more quickly on as it whisks to the club the parliament or the dinner-party the member of the middle class buttons his taglioni or his greatcoat over his chest the individual of a humbler sphere tries to make his scanty tweed cover as much of his person as it will and poverty wraps its rags around its shaking limbs apparently forgetful that in drawing them over one place they leave another bare in the entrances of courts and covered alleys and in deep doorways the daughters of pleasure oh the frightful misnomer collect and huddle together in their flaunting attire the pattering of the rain rendering their poor thin shoes as pulpy as brown paper and splashing over their stockings and thus aiding ardent spirits and nights of dissipation to plant the seeds of consumption more deeply in their constitutions the drivers of cabs and omnibuses thrust their heads as far into their hats or else push their hats as far down on their heads as possible and shrugging up their shoulders sit with rounded backs and faces bent downward on their vehicles while the conductors or omnibus cads in their oilskin coats seem to find consolation for the unpleasantness of the weather in the fact that they can speedily fill their vehicles without the usual exercise of the lungs or gymnastic movements of the arm and on a rainy evening such as we are attempting to describe what business what bustle prevail in front of the angel inn at islington omnibus after omnibus comes up from every direction discharging and receiving their animated freight with wonderful rapidity the red-nosed man at the booking-office seems to have something better to do than merely lounge at the threshold with his right shoulder leaning against the door-post off which it has worn the paint in one particular spot for inquiries now multiply thickly upon him indeed we are afraid that that last share of a 
quartern and two outs which he took with the elephant and castle's six o'clock cad has somewhat obfuscated his ideas for he thrusts an elderly lady with a bandbox into a chelsea although she particularly requested to be placed in a bank omnibus and he has sent that tall lady with her three children and a baby over to kennington in spite of her thrice repeated anxiety to repair to sloane square what a paddling and stamping of feet and pattering of clogs and collision of umbrellas there are in every direction up the new road and down the city road along st john street and goswell street road and also up towards the green the most addle-pated rider may find some food for his pen if he only take his stand at the angel door with a cigar in his mouth too if he like on a rainy evening does he wish to see how a party of pleasure may be spoiled by a change in the weather let him study that little procession of a family who have passed the day at copenhagen house and are now returning home wet cold uncomfortable and sulky the husband dragging the chaise in which two children are squalling a lubberly boy of eight or nine pushing behind and the wife with a baby on one arm and holding up her gown with the left hand paddling miserably through the rain and venting her ill-humour on her husband by declaring that it was all his fault she knew how it would be she had begged and prayed of him to come home an hour before but he would stay to have that other glass of gin and water if our moralist whom we station at the door of the angel be an admirer of pretty feet and ankles he may now gratify his taste in that respect for of a surety those who have good ones raise their dresses above the swell of the leg ah ladies it is really too bad of you we almost suspect that you care little for the rain since it enables you to display those attractions the policeman with his oil-skin cape emerges from the public-house close by drawing the back of his hand across his lips just for all the world as if he had been taking something short to keep the cold out and very likely he has too for we are sure that the most rigid disciplinarian of an inspector or sergeant would not quarrel with him for so doing on such an unpleasant evening the apple-stall woman puts up an umbrella and maintains her seat on the low basket turned bottom upwards for she dares not absent herself from her post for fear of the hungry urchins that are prowling about within the doorway of the angel a knot of young gentlemen in pea-coats and with sticks in their hands are smoking cigars they are not waiting for the omnibuses but are merely collected there because the bustle of the scene amuses them and they like to look at the gals listen a moment to their conversation they are talking about some favourite actress at an adjacent theatre and to hear their astute observations one would think that they must at least be the dramatic critics of the newspapers assembled there 
or else perhaps their discourse turns on politics and then one would be apt to imagine that they were under secretaries of state in disguise so profound are their remarks they call the minister of the day by his surname without any titular adjunct and one of them no doubt wiser than the rest shakes his head solemnly and very kindly prophesies the said minister's approaching downfall then the conversation flies off at a tangent to some less important subject and they most probably proceed to comment upon the excellent lark they had the other night at such and such a place presently one of them proposes a go of whisky each and they accordingly adjourn to the public room of the angel where what with the goes of whisky and the going of their tongues they create so much noise that the old gentleman at the next table flings down the last sunday's paper in despair before he has read through the third murder well reader it was on such a rainy evening as this that two grand events in our history were to take place we mean the affair of sir christopher blunt on the one hand and the project of old death to kidnap charlie watts on the other it is our intention however to proceed with the former little business in this chapter at a quarter to eight o'clock a post-chaise and four passed through the turnpike at islington and drew up in the lower road alongside the enclosure of the green the right-hand window was then lowered and a head enveloped in a fur travelling-cap with lappets over the ears and tying under the chin was protruded forth this head which belonged to sir christopher blunt looked anxiously up and down the thoroughfare and was then withdrawn again but the worthy knight's patience was not tested to any great extent for in a few minutes after his arrival at the appointed spot and before the clock had struck eight a hackney-coach rattled up to the place where the chaise was waiting sir christopher threw open the door of the chaise kicked down the steps and leaped out with the agility of a small elephant and in a few moments he very gallantly handed two females well muffled up in cloaks boas and veils from the hackney coach dearest julia he murmured to the taller of the two as he assisted her to ascend into the post-chaise an expressive squeeze of the hand was the reply to this affectionate apostrophe on the part of the knight the shorter female whom sir christopher concluded to be his fair one's attendant inasmuch as miss mordaunt had informed him by note in the morning that she had secured a faithful maid to accompany her was also handed into the post-chaise the knight followed and the vehicle hurried away like wildfire sir christopher and the female whom he believed to be miss mordaunt sat on the back seat and the other young lady occupied the seat facing them for some time there was a dead silence inside the chaise but at the expiration of about ten minutes sir christopher began to fidget like a gentleman at a public dinner who though unaccustomed to public speaking nevertheless experiences a nervous anxiety to address the audience 
my dear julia <clears throat> began the knight i hope you-you don't feel cold dear the female thus addressed threw her arms round sir christopher's neck and clasped him so fondly that what with the tightness of the embrace and the contact of the fur in which she was enveloped he might have been pardoned had he fancied for a moment that he was being hugged by a bear oh dearest julia how happy i am exclaimed sir christopher nearly suffocated by this display of fondness and you julia are you happy my love quite too happy murmured his companion and yet methinks your voice sounds strange julia said the knight what what is the matter with you only this sir christopher that i am not miss mordaunt not miss mordaunt ejaculated the knight preparing to throw down the window and order the postilions to stop no not miss mordaunt was the answer but one who loves you as well or better and is i flatter myself six times as good-looking then who are you in the name of heaven cried the knight so completely bewildered that he knew not how to act charlotte for it was she threw back her veil and by the light of the shops which they were just passing in the outskirts sir christopher recognised lady hatfield's dependent whom he had seen on two or three occasions when he had called on miss mordaunt in piccadilly and who is your companion he demanded hastily my sister alice at your service replied charlotte but listen to me for one moment sir christopher well for one moment then said the knight so strangely perplexed and annoyed that he could take no decisive step miss mordaunt never loved you sir christopher continued the wily charlotte never loved me then why did she tell me so only to laugh at you it was all planned between her and your nephew mr frank curtis the devil ejaculated the knight go on they determined to make themselves merry at your expense and yourself ridiculous at the same time by heaven i will be revenged cried the hero of this pleasant adventure slapping his thigh emphatically with his open palm they accordingly hired me and my sister to personate miss mordaunt and a lady's maid proceeded charlotte and we were to carry on the deceit till we got to st albans where mr frank curtis and a party of his friends are already waiting to receive you the villain shouted sir christopher completely deceived by this plausible tale but i always admired you sir continued charlotte and i was resolved not to be made a party to carry out the trick to the end i should have written to you or called to explain it but i feared you might not believe me and so i thought it best to let matters go as far as they have gone now just to convince you that what i say is perfectly true oh i believe it all it is too clear too apparent exclaimed the knight that scoundrel frank i'll discard him i'll stop his allowance i'll never speak to him again to get a party of friends to meet us at st albans eh just where i'd sent word to have a good supper in readiness miss mordaunt told him 
all that sir observed charlotte who had kept one of her arms round the knight's neck and had gradually approached her countenance so closely to his that her breath now fanned his cheek yes i understand it all cried sir christopher i have been grossly deceived vilely treated basely served but i am not the man to put up with it at the same time miss he added in a softening tone you are a very good girl to have saved me from cutting so ridiculous a figure at st albans i have only done my duty sir murmured charlotte with a profound sigh and of course by accident her cheek touched that of the knight a good girl a very good girl repeated sir christopher as good as you are pretty for you are pretty and i've often remarked it the arm thrown around sir christopher's neck pressed him gently and i really do not know how to reward you sufficiently my dear girl he added new ideas entering his mind again the arm pressed him tenderly sir christopher could resist the exciting contiguity no longer and he fairly kissed the cheek that was so close to his lips charlotte sighed again but did not withdraw her face really this is very ridiculous exclaimed the knight here we are galloping along like lightning and without any particular object that i know of upon my word i have a great mind a very great mind to revenge myself on both miss mordaunt and master frank at one and the same time in what way sir christopher asked charlotte in a languidly murmuring tone by marrying you my dear was the emphatic response oh sir christopher is it possible such happiness sighed charlotte again embracing him in the most tender manner it is so possible my dear answered the knight that if you consent to have me the horses heads need not be turned back again towards london how can i refuse you dear sir christopher exclaimed charlotte i who always thought what a fine-looking handsome kind genteel fashionable man you was from the first time i ever saw you i'm sure i always heard sister speak in the highest terms of you sir said alice now taking up her cue well then my dear what is to hinder us from being happy cried sir christopher with these words he pulled down the window ordered the postilions to stop and gave them directions to change their route in such a manner as to avoid st albans the vehicle then whisked along with renewed speed and while sir christopher felt wonderfully elated at the idea of punishing his nephew and avenging himself on miss mordaunt by showing her that she was not the only female in the world to whom he was compelled to address himself charlotte on the other hand rejoiced at the success of a scheme which had been suggested by the part she was originally engaged to play in this pleasant drama and which as the reader will now perceive was the motive that prevented her from extending her intimacy with mr frank curtis on the previous evening End of section twenty seven